Um, because they can be, they can come in a very, very wide variety of shapes and assortments. Sometimes they can be really beautiful, like this bridge here. This is a picture I took. You see my, my amateur photography skills here. I took this, uh, this last summer, um, went up to, to, when we went on vacation, went to Amnicon Falls State Park. Anyone ever been there? Yeah, it's a beautiful little bridge and all the different waterfalls there. And actually, last summer, the water was low enough. You can see people were swimming at the base of falls. I got to swim base of falls. It was really awesome. Beautiful spot. Definitely recommend it. Sometimes bridges are beautiful. Sometimes they're just impressive. Uh, so this is a picture of, anybody know which bridge this is, by the way? Because it's not that far away. What's that? The Mackinac Bridge. Yes, that connects the, the UP of Michigan uh, to the Lower Peninsula. I lived in Michigan uh, for a year as a, as a child. We lived just a couple blocks up from, from the bay, actually. We lived there for a year, and then we moved up by Fargo, North Dakota, and then Iowa. <laughs> I guess, guess my dad went where the Lord called him, but Lord, I mean, come on. <laughs> anyway, anyway, it was, it was, anyway <laughs> we went to great places. I'm thankful for where, where dad served. But we would go back there frequently, even though we only lived there for a year because it's just so beautiful. It's very Door County-esque up there. Um, and so we would travel this bridge, and this bridge is, what, more than five miles long? I mean, it's impressive just how massive this bridge is. It's one of the longest of its kind um, anywhere. Sometimes bridges are just impressive. Sometimes they're beautiful. Sometimes they're kind of scary. The, this picture doesn't make this bridge look too scary, but it, 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 it gets me. Does anybody have a guess what bridge this is? You do? Do you know what it is? It's the one in Green Bay, exactly. It's the Leo Frigo Bridge. And uh, it's the bridge you have to cross to get to Door County. And every time I'm pulling a camper over that bridge, I'm terrified. Like, it's just like there's the wind, and there's usually construction, and I think probably partly because the first couple of times we went to Door County, we broke down either just on one side of the, or the other of the bridge, and I'm always like, what if it happened on the bridge, right? So every time we go over, I'm like, God, oh, dear Lord, just keep us safe over this bridge. I'm always terrified. So sometimes bridges can be terrifying, but, you know, even if they are terrifying, we go across it because we want to get to the other side. We want to get to Door County and go on vacation. And then when you get done, you want to get home, you know, back to, back to your home. You, you, you go across it to the other side. Whether it's a beautiful bridge or an impressive bridge or even if it's a terrifying bridge or even if it's a bridge that you get to because you've been tested. We've been going through this series talking about seasons of testing, talking about how God works through these, these seasons of our life and, and can bring us to new opportunities and teach us new things. And one of the things that we'll see in our lesson today is that during a season where we are being tested, God can bring us to a bridge to take us from one side of our story to the next. Today we're going to get into a lesson that points us to this bridge, that helps us discover the other side of your story. The lesson we have is Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 to 2. It says, Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years, to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. Now, with our lesson today, we move ahead a bit from where we were last week in the story of God's people. So last week we reviewed that story of Joseph in the Old Testament and how God did all those incredible things with him through working through really difficult things, how he was sold in slavery by his brothers, but yet God used all that to bring him to that position of being that second most powerful man in the country of Egypt, and, and, and God used him to collect 
all that food over those seven years of plenty, so they had plenty of food for the seven years of famine, and how God worked through Joseph to provide food for the neighboring people, including his family, who Joseph ended up reuniting with and actually saying, come on down here to Egypt, I'll take care of you. And it's down there in Egypt where his family grew and really became big enough and strong enough to become a whole nation, that nation of Israel. We really especially honed in on that reunion with, between Joseph and his father, and in our lesson especially brought us to that difficult but really honest scene where Joseph was grieving the death of his father. And we had the opportunity to see how God invites us and encourages us to be honest with grief so he can enter into that grief and give us real healing. So pretty significant things and some pretty significant turns take place between this lesson and our lesson today. Because while Joseph was down there and in this powerful man in Egypt, and while his family at first was invited down and really taken care of, as they grew and grew and as time went over the next few hundred years, there were now a pharaoh, there's now a pharaoh, a king over Egypt, who didn't remember, didn't know the story of Joseph. All he saw when he saw the, the descendants of Israel, the people of Israel, the Hebrews, was that he saw a group of people that was growing, 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 and he saw them as a potential threat to Egypt. And so they enslaved them, they tried to beat them down, and really tried to, to knock down God's people, but they just kept on growing as a people group, as a potential new nation. And so this all leads up to the story of Moses where God protects this baby, where God protects Moses. God brings Moses before Pharaoh and demands, let my people go. God sends the ten, ten plagues, that famous story from the Old Testament, where God then threw out those plagues and eventually brings the people out of Egypt. As he brings them out of Egypt, there's this really, really significant detail that sometimes gets overlooked because people focus on the plagues, and then they're going to focus on what happens when God brings them through the Red Sea, how God parts the waters and so on. There's this really significant detail to this. So when God brings his people out of Egypt, his plan is to bring them to what we call the promised land. God had promised to their forefather Abraham, I'm going to give you this land. And when God brings them out of Egypt, it would have been much more direct. There was a very direct route he could have taken them on. But instead, he took them purposely out of the way to the Red Sea. So he kind of curved them down to the Red Sea, where at the Red Sea, the Egyptian army comes up behind them, and it looks like they're trapped. And he did all of this on purpose so that if they face war, they might change. Well, he's concerned. If they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. God brought them out there to prepare them for battle. God brought them out to the situation where it looked like there wasn't a way out, but then he provided a way through the waters. There's this beautiful line in this account where, where God, through Moses, he tells the people, he says, the Lord will fight for you. Just be silent. He has all this take place to teach them how to fight battles. It's to trust the Lord to go before you. He will part the waters. He will lead before you. He will conquer your enemies. God was preparing them for battle. Why? Because in order to enter this promised land, this land God had promised Abraham, they would have to do battle against the people who lived in that land. The promised land was not some vacant plot of land that they could just move into. There were people there who would need to be driven out. Now, at first, that might just seem really cruel. Like, why would God 
drive out people there. But we actually get some insight to what's going on if you go back to Genesis and back to the early days of when God is making this promise to Abraham about this land. He talks about how the sin of the Amorites had not yet reached its full measure. That actually there would need to be some time that would, that would, that would lapse or go on until God's people would go and drive them out because God bringing his people into land and driving those people out was connected with actually justice and judgment for bad things that people were doing in the land. That the people in that land were worshiping false gods, were doing some really terrible things. And so when God would bring his people into the promised land, it wasn't just about bringing them into the land. It was also about bringing judgment and justice against what had been happening in that land and driving out of that land the bad things that had been taking place. And so God, when he delivers his people, is also driving out these terrible things that have been taking place there as well. And with our lesson today, we now are getting to the point where God is prepping his people to enter into that promised land, to drive out those people, and then to settle in the land that God had promised them. See, in our lesson, we see that Moses is speaking to the people, and Moses says, be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. When you look at this first verse, you can see basically what we're, we're in a section right now where Moses is saying, okay, this is, the, this is God's plan for success. This is how you're going to go, and this is how it's going to work well. Listen to what I'm going to tell you so that you can go and you can live and you can thrive and things can go well for you here in the promised land. This is God's plan. This is his directives. I want you to thrive. I want you to enter into this land. I want things to go well. I want you to cross this bridge from being outside of the promised land to the other side, to being inside of it. I want you to discover the other side of your story. And so as he gives them this plan, as he gives them these directions, what he says is, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years. In order to go forward, I want you to remember back. Sometimes it's important that we just leave the past in the past and that, that there are ways that we do that. And at the same time, sometimes, in order to face what's in front of us, we have to remember what we've been through already. And we have to remember, the way he says it here, I love it in the original language, how the Lord your God walked you on the road. Remember the path God has brought you on so far. In order then that you might go forward in the path that he has in front of you. Remember where God has walked. Remember all the events that you've been through as you step forward. He wants you to remember these events because during these events, we're told that God walked you on this path to humble you. So first of all, just think about what the word humble means or humility means. It really means biblically to, to take a low position. It's not that you beat yourself up or anything like that, but that you recognize, especially when it comes to your relationship with God, that the big deal in your life is not you, but God. He has the power. He has the authority. He's the one with the strength. It's not about you being wise enough or you being strong enough or you being able to do it. It's about him. He, God brings you low, not to, to beat you down, even though it means a low position. The idea of being low is that you might recognize that he is high. If you're full of yourself, you can't see him. When you puff up yourself, you don't see him well. When you're low, you see that he is the one who is big and strong and mighty, and you look to him. 
So he wants you to remember how God walked you in a way to humble you, to see how big he is compared to you. And then to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. Now this is a phrase that we have to be careful to keep in mind what biblical testing often accomplishes. Because the way it's phrased, especially in our English, it can sound like God is doing a test like, okay, let's see, are you going to keep my commands, and since you passed the test, therefore, now you can go in. But testing biblically is often meant to teach as much as it is to just present a test. And if you think about it, actually, even a lot of tests that we take are often teaching moments. Like when you have a test, that's when you maybe will do more of the studying. Or if you have a test, like say you get something new, that, all right, let's test this new thing out and let's see what it can do. Uh, the, the, the test often is taking something that you've been taught and now applying it. And it's similar here with, with God, is, is God tests you to teach you. And a great example of this is actually in chapter 20 of Exodus. This is at a point where God is up, his, the big cloud and storm and lightning is on the mountain. Moses is going up to get the Ten Commandments, and the people are freaked out, which can, I could just imagine. Can you imagine being at the base of a mountain, and up there there's this big cloud and thunder and lightning, and it's because God's there, and you're kind of terrified? And God says to Moses, he, says, he tells him, he says, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The testing there is to teach them something. It was to instill in them, whoa, God is big, and he's real, and he's here. Let's listen to him. Testing in scripture often teaches in scripture. And so here, when you look back in the wilderness, God has, has brought low his people to test their hearts, to test the hearts of his people, so that... They would keep his commands. And I just want to clarify this phrasing, would keep. Because sometimes when you think about it, like they would do this back then, it kind of seems like a past thing. But this word, the way it's in the original language, it's actually it's expressing an incomplete action. In other words, it's something that started, but then is meant to continue forward. So the idea here is that he would humble you and then teach you something so that you would begin to go forward keeping his commands, walking in the commands of the Lord. So that as they now get ready to go into the promised land, they would step forward in the commands God has given them. Because soon, God was going to do some more amazing things for them. God was actually going to part waters again. The Red Sea gets most of the attention, but God actually does it again with the Jordan River. He stops the water of the river so they can pass into the Jordan River. was that like boundary marker of the promised land. God would stop the water. They would walk through into the promised land, and God would give them victory over that land. That, that would come very soon. God wanted them to remember what they had been through, where God had led them, so that they might remember how small they are and how big God is, so that their hearts might be trained to follow his commands as they step forward into the land he had promised them. Moses here speaks to the people, and God's word here speaks to us and wants us to remember so that we might cross the bridge and discover the other side of your story. Now, if Moses has encouraged them to remember where they've been, and today God's word is encouraging us to remember where God has brought his people, it's good for us to take a bit of time and to review where God had led his people. And so to do that, we're actually going to watch the Bible Project summary of the book of Numbers. 
already kind of alluded to it before with our background lesson, that a lot of what takes place before the book of Deuteronomy is in Numbers. The book of Numbers is a lot more than Numbers. A lot of these events take place there. So we're going to take an overview of the events of Numbers, the events that God is telling his people to remember. The book of Numbers gets overlooked partly because it has a really boring name. Which is a shame. In the Hebrew tradition, the book's name is Bamidbar, which means in the wilderness. And it's an epic travel log about Israel's journey through the desert on their way to the land promised to Abraham. Now this pilgrimage should only take about two weeks on foot. But instead it takes them about 40 years. That's crazy. It's practically half of someone's lifetime. Yeah, it's a very long camping trip with lots of interesting stories. But let's remember it's most helpful to back up and start with how this book is designed. Right. So the book is broken up into five sections. There are three wilderness locations broken up by two road trips that link all the pieces together. The first wilderness section is Mount Sinai, right here on the map. And then in the second section, they travel to a region called Paran. A whole bunch of things happen here in the wilderness of Paran. And then in this fourth section is Israel's road trip to Moab. The book ends with a large section in the wilderness of Moab, right across the Jordan River from the Promised Land. Now, through all of these sections, the storyline just flows like a gripping dramatic movie. Everything starts great, but then the trip goes horribly wrong, and it all ends with the final redemptive moment, the surprising act of God's grace. So let's jump into this story. It all begins at the wilderness at Mount Sinai, and we've become really familiar with this mountain. Yeah, if you remember, Israel came here after Egypt, and they formed a covenant with God here, got the Ten Commandments here, built the tabernacle here, and they've been at this mountain for one full year. And now they take a census to number the people as they prepare to leave. Right, and they're given these instructions for how to organize all those people in the camp. God's presence in the tabernacle, and then the tribe of Levi and the priests around it, and then the rest of the tribes around them. And this pattern, it's this visual symbol for how God's holiness is at the center of their existence as a people. And they're told that when the cloud of God's presence moves, they're to pack up and travel with it. Yeah, the Ark of the Covenant is carried by the Levites out in front, and then the tribe of Judah, and on and on. And this order is also a symbol for how God's holy presence is their leader and guide through the wilderness. We begin the second section of the book with enthusiasm as they leave Mount Sinai and travel up to Paran. God's with them, everything's organized. This is gonna be great. But it's not great. After just three days on the road, the people are complaining about their hunger and thirst, and then even Moses' brother and sister start bad-mouthing him in front of all the people. Not a great start. But now we're into the third section, the wilderness of Paran. This is where they send the 12 spies to scout out the promised land. Two of those spies come back and they're really optimistic. But the other 10 are freaked out and they don't trust God and they go around saying, we're gonna get annihilated in there. And so they start a mutiny and they try to appoint a new leader who's gonna take all the people back to Egypt. And so basically they are refusing to go into the promised land and God honors their choice. He says that this generation is going to wander for 40 years and die in the wilderness and only their kids will get to enter the promised land. You know, this story here gets brought up many times in the Bible by different authors. Yeah, and, and it always serves as a reminder that while God remains faithful to his people and his promises, he will honor their choices. He'll, he'll let them waste their whole lives if they choose to live in rebellion. Okay, so the trip's been a disaster so far. And it gets worse here in this fourth section as they're traveling to Moab. 
Even Moses has a moment of rebellion and is disqualified from entering the promised land. Then there's another rebellion among the people that results in this snake attack. And what makes all these rebellions even worse is that every step of the way, God has been providing. He's been offering forgiveness. He's been giving them food and water and this crazy stuff called manna. Yeah, what is that stuff? Yeah, no, no idea. But in spite of all this, they keep complaining and they say that they wish they had died in slavery in Egypt. If I was God, I would just give up on these guys. You would think. But that's what makes this story in the final section so surprising. Israel has just arrived in Moab, and the king of Moab, he's freaked out that this huge group of people is traveling through his land. So he hires this pagan sorcerer named Balaam to pronounce curses on them. This guy means business. Yeah, and so Balaam, he says, okay, I'm going to pray to the Hebrew God, and let's see what happens. And three different times, he attempts to curse them, but each time he finds that he can utter only blessing. Most surprising is the last blessing, where he prophesies that out of Israel will rise a victorious king. And this king is somehow going to be connected to God's promise to Abraham to bless all nations through this family. So here's Israel rebelling down in the camp, totally unaware that up in the hills, God is protecting and even blessing them. The book ends here in Moab. Israel's getting ready to go into the promised land. They count up everyone again, just like at the beginning. They're leaving the old generation behind, including Moses. But before they leave Moses, he gives them his last words of warning and wisdom. And that speech is what the next book, Deuteronomy, is all about. And that speech is actually then what our lesson is a part of today, part of the speech that Moses gives to the people. Man, God had done so many things with the people of Israel to teach them to teach them the lessons they needed, to teach them how to cross from one side of their story to the next. I mean, you could go back through, and even before the book of Numbers, right, we already talked about how God, when he brought them to the Red Sea, he did it on purpose. Why? To teach them, to prepare them for battle. God, from the start, was teaching his people. The whole manna in the, in the wilderness, not only was he providing food for them to eat, but it was a teaching tool. He provided just enough for them each and every day. While on the sixth day, he provided enough for two days so that on the seventh day, they wouldn't have to go out at all. They could honor the Sabbath and rest. Whenever they needed something, when they needed water, they would think, how we're going to get water? There's nowhere to get water. God provided. God taught his people. But then when it got to the opportunity, they came to the opportunity to enter into the promised land, and they sent the 12 spies into the land to check it out. Ten of the people, when they saw the people in the land, when they saw the nations, they saw how big and how strong and how powerful they looked, they freaked out and said, there's no way we can go in. God had taught his people so much, and yet when they got there, 10 out of the 12 spies said, nope, we can't do it. And like the video said, they actually talked about even getting a different leader to take them back to Egypt. They were afraid and they freaked out when they had the opportunity to cross and go in. They had forgotten something that, well, two of the spies remembered. There's something they said in that background lesson we read. So this is, we're thinking about Caleb now and, and Joshua. They said, if the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land. Like, yeah, the people there look big and stuff, but we have the Lord who parted the Red Sea, the Lord who provided the man, and the Lord who brought the water. If God's pleased with us, which he is, he's chosen us, he's going to lead us in. Let's go. 
But the vast majority of the people forgot who was leading them, forgot who really was the bridge from one side of their story to the next. And so, like our video reminded us, this story is a very heavy reminder that, well, God does stay faithful to his promises and honor them. There, there is this, this truth where God gives us free will to make choices, and he gives us consequences with that. Like, if you, if you choose not to trust God, and you stay back in fear, then you don't get to take hold of the promise in front of you. It's, you know, it seems, it's pretty, it makes sense, right? God brings you to it, and God says, all right, step forward, and if you, and if you don't, you don't get that promise. You, 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 if you step back and hold back, there's consequences. When the people refused to go into the promised land, they didn't get the promised land. Or actually, and then actually, there's this thing, too, and I don't know if you caught it in, a, in our background lesson, too, but just uh, not only did the people initially refuse to go in, but then after God brings the, 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 the news that, okay, well, then you're not getting the land, then they decide on their own to go up into the land themselves and try to do it without Moses and without God. You know how that went? Very poorly. They had forgotten that what it was all about was about who was leading them forward. Now, as we think about this and we think about the people forgetting who was leading them forward, we need to recognize that sometimes as humans, as sinful people, even though God brings us to the bridge and shows us the bridge, sometimes we fail to see it or we're, we're afraid to cross it. Even though he has promised to lead us to the other side. It's not just the people of Israel. It, 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 it's us and the way we live our lives too. And at first you might think, well, I've never been brought to a promised land. And God said, all right, go through there. And we know our, our experience is a bit different. But this shows up anytime there is an, either an obstacle or an opportunity. And our initial sinful inclination is to hang back in fear and doubt when God wants to bring us across in faith and hope in something new. Anytime there's an obstacle or an opportunity, and our natural inclination is to hunker back in fear, but God wants to bring us forward in faith is an opportunity like this, to cross a bridge. You know, so maybe it's that, that whenever, when something comes up, maybe let's think of that, that, that obstacle. Maybe when, when there is a financial problem at home or financial issue, and you know God has brought you through in the past, but when you get there, you forget that he is the one who has led you in the past, and he's going to lead you through this too. And so the natural inclination is to hunker back in fear. And when you hunker back in fear, then you have all the worry and the stress that comes as a result of it. Maybe God wants to lead you forward in faith and in confidence, but if you refuse to step forward and trust him, you may hang back in fear and worry. Or maybe it's more of an opportunity, an opportunity where, where you realize seeing that God is calling you to serve him in a special way, where God is calling you to, to take part in his work in a special way, and you see that, that there's an opportunity in front of you, and you Decide not to step forward, not because it's not good or not right, but because you're just afraid. Do I have the strength? Do I have the power? I don't know if I can do this. And you forget who has led you so far, who's going to lead you forward. You know, or maybe it's even, maybe it's, 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 it's 
the difference between being on a side of our story where we just stay in guilt and shame and overthinking and all these things and where God says, I want to take you across a bridge to grace and freedom and trust and where we just, we refuse to go there. We refuse to believe that we really are forgiven and we refuse to believe that our life is really in his hands and we refuse to step forward. Any way where there is an, a, a chance now to step forward out of fear and holding back and into faith, we're in a situation like this. But for all those times, for all those times that we have held back, for all those times that we have forgotten who has gone before us, for all those times where we're like, nope, Lord, I don't think I can go there. I don't think I can trust you. I don't think I can believe. For all those times, there's some really powerful words, and it was right at the very beginning of that background lesson we read from Numbers. What did the Lord reply? He said, I have forgiven them. Now, there are some real consequences in that those people didn't get to enter the promised land, but God's plan of redemption didn't stop with that, though. Yes, there were real consequences there, and when God's people make choices, there are real life or earthly consequences, and yet God still carries out his plan for the world. And God still brought their children into the promised land. God still grew the nation of Israel so that his promise he made to Abraham could still come true. God still provided a savior for them and for us. And that savior Jesus, the night he was betrayed, in that conversation with his disciples, made it very clear. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. How do you get to the other side of your story? Jesus is the bridge. Jesus is the one who, who gets you where God wants you to go. Because where you and I have fallen short, and where we have held back in faith, Jesus trusted his Father every step when he lived the life we were meant to live. Where you and I have done wrong, Jesus never did wrong, but then he went to the cross to pay for all those things you and I ever did wrong. When Jesus went to the cross, he said it is finished and it is done. And he went through death to the other side to life on Easter Sunday. And Jesus went to the other side to bring you to the other side too. So that through faith in him, your story is not one of someone who is stuck back in your sin and in your guilt and in your shame. But through faith in Jesus, Jesus brings you to the other side. In God's sight, in God's eyes, you are not stuck where you were. You are right with him. You are clean in him. You have eternity with him. And he, you are everything that he wants you to be in him. And someday you're going to experience what it is to be everything you were meant to be in him. We had that lesson from Hebrews chapter 4 that encouraged us to realize. And that, that lesson was reminding people of what happened there in the Old Testament. It says, don't be like those people who hung back in disobedience. Enter into the rest of God. There is a rest in front of you. And you get to see that just like they had the opportunity to step forward into the promised land, you have the opportunity today to continue to believe by the power of the Spirit and to trust that he has done it. That he is the way. He's the way to eternity. He's the way to paradise. He's the way to resurrection. And we get to believe that and step forward in that rest today. And we get to live 
a life where we are constantly crossing the bridge from one side to the next. Recognizing that someday he's going to bring us fully, ultimately, from one side of our story to the next. But every step of the way, whenever you get to those opportunities, when you get to those obstacles again, we get to hear the words of Moses echo in our heads. Go back to what he said here. He said, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way. When you go forward today, when you leave today, whenever you sense yourself getting to an obstacle where you are inclined to, to worry, to fear about what's ahead, stop and remember, who brought you this far? Who got you this far? Who is going to take you from this life into the next? And that same one who brought you this far, that same one who went through death to life on Easter Sunday, that same one is the one who is going before you now. So you don't have to hang back in fear. You can step forward in faith. You don't have to stay back in shame. You can step forward in freedom. You don't have to step forward and hang back and feel like you're not strong enough or not able to do what's in front of you, to go where's in front of you. You can step forward in the confidence that he is the one who goes before you. Because remember, God told you, God led you this far to humble you so that you might see how big he is, that you might recognize that he is the bridge, that he goes before you. It's never been about you and your strength and your ability. God was teaching his people over and over again that I will lead you where I want you to go. And if the Lord goes before you, if the Lord is your bridge, then you can step forward and you can discover the other side of your story.